So I think this is the perfect time to kind of get into your experience with taking care of our own. So we set the stage. You were feeling numb. You had essentially reached kind of an emotional bottom, an emotional nadir, and you thankfully had, you know, found out about it through mm -hmm. a co-fellow, right? Mm -hmm. And then you you start working with taking care of our own. Mm -hmm. Tell me uh, in, in just a little more detail, as you, as comfortable as it is for you, yeah. uh, what that experience was like and some of those incremental changes that you experienced after starting. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to them via email and it was like super quick that someone got back to me and I had an appointment I want to say within four or five days. I had an in-person appointment because at the time we were still doing that. Um, hmm. I had an in-person appointment um, with one of the psychiatrists on on staff at UNC. And um, she was just phenomenal. I mean, she I mean, because she's a physician, right? So she mm -hmm. and she sees other physicians. So she knew obviously everything that I was experiencing and more and allowing me to say that you know, allowing the language that this is not okay, the way, you know, uh, the hours that I'm working are not okay, the 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 way that I feel about the hours that I'm working is not okay, mm. the thoughts that I had when I was driving home, it's not okay. And, and, um, and, and, and she was just so, also like so encouraging that, that I had reached out on my own. She was like, you know, so many people don't reach out. And so that just felt really, good and it, it just started with th you know therapy just kind of talking and crying to be honest mm -hmm. um in therapy and i you know she talked about starting medications but at the time i just felt like i didn't need that and it was very situational and mm -hmm. um i really the thing that i was struggling with the most was sleep and so then we we talked about what i could do to help my sleep and and things like that I mean, it really just started about what sessions is as as I could do them, right? So like it wasn't we had we didn't have weekly sessions because no, I was on service, so I couldn't do that. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and what was fantastic is like they're in the hospital, so I can just waltz myself over, even if I am on service. That if I if I do need to have weekly sessions, that was fine, but I I couldn't do that. So it was really just meeting whenever I had time, and and she was always really available to to speak to me, and I'm sure. Back then, they could have done telephone sessions and virtual sessions. I'm sure that was probably possible. But yeah, I think the, I think just the talking about it and the not hiding it mm -hmm. from myself, from my family, from from um, from my department. Um, I I don't, and I I wish I remembered this more clearly. Um, but I don't remember reaching out to my program director. But I do remember that. Um, taking care of our own did speak to our program on our behalf. Mm. Um, and I, I wish I had the emails. I was trying to look back um, because that was something, because I had a co-fellow that was also within taking care of our own and we were voicing similar feelings of burnout. Mm -hmm. And the psychiatrist felt like it was within their purview that, that, that at this point they have two fellows within the same year mm -hmm. who are feeling very similar mm -hmm. And maybe that this is not right. This is not the person. It's the program. It's something that more um, departmental that needs to change. And so I, I do remember that, but I, I can't say that for sure. But I remember mm -hmm. that they did 
like reach out to our program on our behalf to say that maybe something needs to change. That's really powerful considering that they are not only your individual support, but at least they are working toward being advocates mm-hmm. for all of us too, right? That's And like you said, they are physicians as well, and they understand what it's like to be in training. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also know to look for sources of issues and not just treating or working through the actual issue too, it sounds like as well, which is which is certainly beyond, right? Mm-hmm. Beyond what a, what a lot of people experience when it comes to any sort of therapy or counseling or talking with someone. So I would I would venture, I would venture to guess that you certainly appreciated the service, taking care of our own. Is that correct? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, it, it changed my life. You know, I... And I was thinking about this before I came in. I don't know if I would have been able to connect with the resources if I had to navigate doing it through the community. And Mm -hmm. the fact that I was able to get seen in days, like that wouldn't, I don't think that would happen out in the community from what I understand about mental health services Mm. of that I've tried to get for my own patients. Mm -hmm. It can take a little bit of time, unfortunately. So I think, the fact that I was able to connect so quickly, you know, really sure. changed my life. And I, down the line, I did start to notice that I was having more issues with just kind of generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember asking my husband, like, do you not always have this kind of pit in your stomach all the time? <laughs> or like, you know, that feeling like when you're going over a hill, like, and that kind of like upset in your stomach as and I was like you don't have that all the time and he was like no and I was like <laughs> oh um and so then like I was really able to work through that with my you know with taking care of their own and once I started a medication like it was really like the clouds parted mm-hmm. <laughs> and I could do my job better I used to perseverate on patient decisions that were small and then when I was able to get my anxiety under more control it was just like, man, I can be a better doctor. I can be a better wife. I can be a better family member. Um, and and that I don't know if I would have reached all of those things without having the accessibility of taking care of their own. Sure. Yeah. What were your thoughts about medical therapy prior to your fellowship and then prior to taking care of our own? Was that Was that something that you considered prior to this or is this something that you eventually reached by kind of incrementally going through all of your stressors and challenges and talking with them more? I had never really considered taking medication because I never really understood that I had, that there was something that I was dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. I um, I always felt that my interaction with medicine and how I felt that I was navigating through medical school residency was not pathologic, I guess, if it's, that's the right term. I always felt like it was just the nature of um, what medicine is, right? It mm-hmm. requires a lot of you, so you, it makes you feel a certain way, mm-hmm. um, and you react to things a certain way. So I had never really thought of the way that I interacted with medicine, the way that I interacted with my job, 
the way that I interacted with this whole system of mm-hmm. medical training as something that was um, that could be bad for my mental health. So I never really considered that medication would be something that would be helpful for me. And it it's not until really being within taking care of our own and speaking with my psychiatrist and understanding that a constant sense of doom or a constant sense of um, anxiety is, like I said, it's not how people go through their their day. Um, Hmm. And I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't know that the, the way that I felt so pressured to be perfect for my patients, so pressured to be perfect when I was on service was not healthy. And I, you know, and like I said, I had done therapy all throughout medical school. And I guess I had been able to, um, through therapy, you know, deal with those pressures. But when it got to fellowship, it it just got very different, I guess, because like you just have like a bigger hand in 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 what you're doing, right? Like my patients are my patients, right? Um, and and they depend on me, um, and some of them are very sick, and um, yeah, it was. I, I don't I, like like I said, I did not have any thoughts about starting medical therapy prior to um, taking care of our own, but it really changed my life, um, and. I would make that decision again wholeheartedly because now I can be a I can be me without anxiety. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that a lot of residents feel too. I mean, I think it depends on certainly your program. Um, it sounds like you were very supported in your program, uh, your internal medicine program, mm-hmm. uh, and so that feeling probably wasn't there mm-hmm. so much. That responsibility, mm-hmm. I know residents that I worked with in surgery and myself to a certain extent Mm -hmm. certainly felt that need to be perfect and that they are kind of my patients maybe a little earlier on. Uh, And I'm I'm sure that there are there are some people listening right now who may feel that way now. And I'm I'm glad that you you brought that up. Let's shift gears just a little bit to something just a little lighter. Not, not, uh, <laughs> still, still could, still could, was a challenge, I know, for you. And I know that there, at least someone listening can relate to this. One challenge I know you experienced since coming to UNC is that you and your husband worked in different cities. Oh, yeah. So I believe, right, you moved to a place that's kind of in between-ish those two places, and then both of you had to commute quite a bit to get to work. And when you consider the hours that you worked, that is a big challenge. Tell me about how that process worked and that decision, Mm -hmm. any advice that you have for people who do have long commutes for a job where you have to be here super early and Mm -hmm. potentially stay, stay super late. Uh, how did you work through that? Yeah, so my husband was in uh, law enforcement in Winston-Salem, and obviously I was in Chapel Hill with fellowship. And so, you know, we were not going to give up. <laughs> so we said uh, we can try and uh, work this out. So we live about 45 minutes outside of Chapel Hill mm-hmm. in this small little place called Whitset. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so I've commuted 45 minutes each way for 
the last three years that I've been at UNC. Mm. At first, it was really grueling, especially like like you said, I was working these really long hours. But then as my hours got better, I really enjoyed that time to myself, especially when I was like coming into work. Like I would, Mm. I had my podcasts on, like I am very much a true crime girl. So I love (laughs) all of those things. And like I would, you know, listen to those, to that as I was coming into work. Probably not the best thing to set the mood for a work day, (laughs) listening to true crime, but it is what it is. (laughs) Um, It was definitely a time for me to like decompress for coming to work, have my coffee, listen to whatever I want to listen to. If I want to listen to music, I can listen to music. But it was definitely in the beginning, it was hard. But now I like don't even notice it. Like I, I like it's just like, oh, it's my commute. And um, because North Carolina is the way that it is, there's no traffic. And so it's never like a kind of headache commute. It's always it's always going to be 45 minutes because there's never traffic. So I was really lucky in that regard. I can imagine people who have to commute and it's like traffic that makes their commute 45 minutes, I, mm-hmm. that would probably be way worse. But um, I've done it for three years and I, I did really appreciate the time to myself in the mornings and in, in the evenings because I was like pretty decompressed by the time I would get home uh, to my to my husband and my dog. So, Yeah. I mean, if, if true crime podcasts make it work for you, then you got, <laughs> then you got to do it, whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Regardless of of whether it's uh, weird, crazy, gruesome crimes that my wife also loves, and yeah. I'm looking at her like, what? But hey, if it makes <laughs> you feel so better, <laughs> um, I can't I can't say that I can't say not to do it. So, you sadly are are leaving the area. You've been in North Carolina for quite some time, but you are not native of North Carolina, I'm and not. you are now moving to a different state. And mm-hmm. you are starting um, what we, I guess, as residents and fellows always say is like your first real job, even though like, let's be honest, everyone, That's we've amazing. been working for I a know. long time, but <laughs> we get we get what you mean. So just in case people are also interested in the things you're interested in moving forward in your mm-hmm. career, can you tell us a little bit about what you plan to do moving forward, what your interests are, and uh, what you plan on focusing on in the world of healthcare and infectious disease moving forward? Yeah, totally. So um, my husband got a, a new job, and that is relocating us to Philadelphia. And like Rob said, I'm not native to North Carolina. I've been here for 10 years, so I will miss it. But I'm originally from New Jersey, so I am happy to be getting closer uh, to my family. And I will be starting a new faculty position at the University of Pennsylvania, which I'm like super excited about doing both clinical work and research. You know, like Rob mentioned, I did preventive medicine residency and was able to get my master's of science in clinical research. So I have a real interest in um, research around, um, so it's called PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, which prevents individuals from getting HIV if you're if you're taking it. Specifically, um, how do we get PrEP to women in the United States that really need it? So that is where my passion is, you know, my research passion. And I, when I go to University of Pennsylvania, they're very excited to help me continue to ask the right questions um, 
that I need to ask in order to get PrEP into the hands of the women that need it within the United States. So that's a little bit of, you know, what I'll be doing and what I'm passionate about. But I'm so thankful for, you know, preventive medicine allowing me to get my master's so that I have the ability to ask these really important questions. Preventive medicine has really given me that outlook on population health that I didn't get from my infectious disease training. So I um, feel really fortunate that I've had preventive medicine training to, to, to give me a, um, a, a broader um, outlook on medicine and, and my role um, in medicine and, 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 yeah, and a broader outlook on, on my research interests as well. Wonderful. And not that you need any validation from me for any reason, but I will I will say that she knows what she's talking about, everyone. Um, it's fascinating work. I've seen her present several times on work that she's done herself, and I'm really looking forward to what she has for the world in well, the future. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so lastly, we've talked about a lot of heavy stuff, and, and I want to say – First, that I really appreciate your honesty. I appreciate your candor. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate your openness and willingness to talk about this because I really do believe that there are people out there, myself included, who need to hear this. Um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Let's balance all that out <laughs> with things that bring you joy. Ariane, what brings you joy? Ooh, what brings me joy? So my dog... I got this little Chihuahua mix, Ooh, and if I love you, Chihuahua mixes. If you look at her, you'd be like, "That's not a Chihuahua," because she's twenty-one pounds or something. So, <laughs> whatever she's mixed with is large. Um, Woolly mammoth, maybe. <laughs> I know, um, but she's amazing. She is such a sassy girl, um, <laughs> and I love her. And then more recently, what brings me joy? I like. I don't know why, but I thought I want to learn how to play the piano. So over the last like six months or so, I bought myself a really great digital piano and I have been taking lessons with this really strict Russian woman, like in my, like around in Greensboro and she's amazing and is very strict with my finger placement. So learning how to play this instrument, learning how to like read notes um, and everything. So like that has been bringing me joy over the last six months or so. Those sound absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I'm just imagining you playing for some reason a, a Russian composer's <laughs> concerto. I don't know. It's uh, so it's so <laughs> like it's so humbling the experience because so I like have my little visit with her and I, I go to her home and like an 11 year old boy has his visit with her or his lesson with her after me. And like, as I'm walking out the door, he like gets on the piano and is like blowing it out of the water <laughs> as I walk away as this 35 year old woman who like is. And, and so it's very humbling, but I love the experience of learning. So that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Ariane Morrison, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was very, very enjoyable and super amazing. And that so, concludes um, this episode. Here. This too. podcast is supported by the University of North Carolina's Office of Graduate Medical Education. It was produced and engineered by Rob Kehoe of Instructional Media Services and edited by Rob and myself. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas for new episodes, you can find me at Robert A.A. Rowe on Twitter or Robert Rowe MD on LinkedIn. Join us next time when we will continue the conversation. Until then... 
Take care.